All right, welcome in uh, to the first live edition of the In the Trenches podcast. I'm your host, Will Ortner. Glad to be joined by the Couch GM himself, <laughs> Connor. How's it going, man? How was your Super Bowl Sunday? Did you go to a party? Doing good. Yeah, I went to a buddy on my adult baseball team, his okay. his, his place. So it was a yeah mixed crowd of 49ers, Chiefs, no diehards in the place. So these- it was, there might have been one. Um, <laughs> no diehard Swifties either. <laughs> just kind of a, a neutral crowd for the most part. Yeah. Nice the diehard Swifty was at my house, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had to watch it all by herself. Like whenever the Seahawks make it, my dad has to watch the game all by himself. He can't be around other people. Like yeah. not even me, who's like obviously big football guy, big Seahawks fan. Can't do it. So is your wife kind of the same way? Like whenever Taylor Swift, like got to be by myself, got to lock yourself in the room. So she, she was wanting to stay back to study for midterms. So she probably just wanted to watch it by herself because I'm not the biggest Chiefs fan. And uh, so I was trying to stay away from that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, no, dude. Fair, fair, fair. All right. So let's get into the game. Obviously, first quarter, if you're not a big defensive mastermind, you're not someone who's like, I can't wait to watch what the middle linebacker does every play. Uh, Probably a pretty boring first quarter. Obviously, first drive, San Fran, they're driving down the field. Uh, CMC uncharacteristically fumbles there. I don't know about you, Connor, but when I was watching this game, that to me and still feels like a huge momentum shift because I do feel like if 49ers can go down and score, I know Kansas City didn't score, but if they go down and they start off the game that way, they score. I don't think that the defense of Kansas City would have been able to kind of get their momentum, get their ego back and keep going. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I heard from a 49ers fan today that that was Christian McCaffrey's second fumble all year. Yeah, he and he's not a he's not a fumble guy. It's not like yeah, Saquon Barkley, a... right? Like there's a fumble issue. That's not CMC. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, the 49ers offense, you know, they have a ton of weapons and if they were able to drive down there and and score, then yeah, I think that is a huge moment, momentum and on the broadcast they were talking about Brock Purdy, you know, give him the ball right away so that mm-hmm. he's feeling the pressure immediately under that big spotlight of being in the Super Bowl first drive, but he didn't have any issues. Yeah, I, I feel like, and, and we'll go through the whole wrap-up, uh, but I, I feel like Purdy had a fairly decent game. Like, I wasn't unimpressed uh, with what no he picks. had going on. Um, obviously, San Fran, they get out to the uh, 10-0 lead. Great trick play. I felt like it was the perfect time for it. Oh, yeah. uh, Juwan Jennings is going to get the uh, the Chris Matthews treatment. That's the wide receiver the Seahawks had the year they lost to the Patriots, right? I believe it was Chris Matthews, where he goes off and has just an absolutely monster game. It's like eight catches, 100 and some odd yards, a touchdown. But you forget it because they lost. That's what Jennings is going to have. I mean, it's him right. and Nick Foles, the only ones to throw <laughs> and catch her uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl. That's a stat. The same one. Wow. Yeah, absolutely insane. Uh, Chiefs go down at halftime. They get a field goal with Butker. Uh, I felt like if you're a Kansas City fan, you have to be excited only being down seven. At no point did I feel like until that very last drive right before the half, Kansas City had any momentum. So then you come out into this and you're only down seven. I felt like, and I was someone who bet Kansas City, right? And I was very adamant about at the end of the game, it's going to be close. I felt like 
San Fran had plenty of opportunities to step on their neck and whether it was holding penalties that pushed the one drive back, the CMC fumble that I keep beating on. Right. I mean, shoot, not capitalizing more on the Pacheco fumble. You get Pacheco to fumble and he fumbles on the Ted yard line. You got Travis Kelsey screaming at Andy Reed, practically committing elder abuse, trying to push him over and stuff. (laughs) And you, you don't really do anything with it. I had to feel like most Kansas City fans felt good. Were you kind of getting that vibe, or how were you going with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was kind of watching that play where Mahomes rolls out, and then he chucks it deep, and, you know, they get that catch. The next play, it's the fumble. Mm-hmm. And then they showed a replay of Travis Kelsey. You know, he was like, I'm open, I'm open. And then he he's, like, mad, and then the ball goes over his head, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. And then mm-hmm. the, the fumble happens, I guess, from a – a prior player's perspective that altercation with him and the coach what's your what's your thoughts on that it's the ultimate because they won it doesn't matter and everyone's going to talk about wow he's fiery he went to Andy Reid and you could tell Travis cares but if they lost that game he would for sure be getting ripped right now in the public and right now right now Travis is just saying oh I was telling him that I love him right people would be trashing him look I, I was a fiery person. I love the fire. I think if you don't have that type of reaction now and again, you're probably not you're not trying hard enough or you're not wired to be that winner. That's why he's won so much because he's crazy competitive. And Andy Reid was probably excited. Like in the moment, he's not excited about it. But there's a reason why Travis has been around. There's a reason why they've cared for Travis as long as they have. It's because he has that fiery personality. And I bet you that behind closed doors, Andy has that same personality. The thing is, is when the cameras catch it, if you win, you can sweep it under the rug. It's the ultimate winning cures all. But the minute that you don't win, it's Odell Beckham Jr. where he's out there smacking the kicking net and it hits him in the face. He's all pissed off about it. And then they lose. So it's a huge talking point. It's what everyone cares about. If Kansas City lost this game, make no bones about it. That is the number one story right now. It is he could not control his emotions. He let the moment get too big for him. But because they won, you can kind of sweep it under the rug. What are your thoughts on Usher? On Usher? um, You like the halftime show? I I watched like the first song, and then that's when I hit the road to come home, (laughs) admittedly. Um, What what were your thoughts since you saw it all? I was waiting for Justin Bieber. I think it's like all of the women of America and me are pissed off that Justin Bieber didn't come (laughs) out. Like he has all these great songs with Bieber. Taylor Swift coming down from the – Right. <laughs> if they had a collab together yeah. <laughs> she's on the uh the robin the tim robinson zip line down in yeah right like you're only here for the zip line Taylor. no i'm here to watch the game too no i feel like you're only here for the, for the zip line <laughs> that's awesome yeah i i honestly like i felt like he did a good job um i appreciate it the roller skating um i feel bad for swiss beats i mean usher was very like look man he he was hugging he was hugging alicia keys more than i would have been comfortable with i'm just saying uh but like as someone who's starting to get into the age of like hey these halftime shows are for me i didn't hate it i thought it was all right what about the commercials uh, the promise how, how about the nfl youtube one or the youtube nfl ticket sunday ticket to where all the different bird teams they're all flying. Oh like yeah, Tyler they're all Lockett flying around. Flying. Yeah. Tyler Lockett's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. So here's my issue with the Super Bowl, and it's not, 
it's not cool. And a lot of other people say it too, right? But like the Paramount Plus commercial was funny when I saw it a week ago. <laughs> the Super Bowl used to be that's when you debuted the commercials. And what I learned is that Jesus has a lot of money and apparently he spends it on feet. Um, the Paramount Plus TV commercial was funny a little bit ago. The State Farm one was okay. Uh, the Duncan, the Dunk Kings one, that one made me yeah, laugh. Yeah. I appreciated that one. I want the tracksuit. I'm not going to lie. I don't think I have the money for it, but I'm definitely going to, you know, try and reach out there. But overall, I thought it was kind of a meh and it's kind of become a meh. It's almost like uh, the NBA dunk contest. You tune in every year. You always claim you're excited. And then you're like, eh, there was, yeah. like a, cool there was I, a cool commercial. I'm glad it wasn't just me that had like the past couple of few years, the commercials haven't right. been what they were in the past. You know? Right. Right. And so I don't know. I felt like it was kind of meh. Um, and then and then the game got good. Right. Because once we get back into the game, obviously, Kansas City, huge third quarter, they get 10 points. Harrison Bucker, he broke the record that Moody set at the beginning of the game. Yeah. You know, in the beginning of the second yeah. quarter, he breaks the record. I thought that I thought there was no chance that kick was going through. No chance. It was way too low. I can't believe like Two hands it goes through as, as he kicks it. Uh, incredible. And then to have the the punt just – it hits your gunner's leg. That can't happen. Right. That it was can't huge. happen yeah. for San Francisco. And then it, it – and, and I was listening to another show earlier, but it felt like Kansas City couldn't do anything until it was the end of the half on either side. And then they just got really lucky. And luck happens. It's a football game. It's going to be close. We knew it was going to be close going into it. But to have that ball hit off your gunner's leg in such a key moment in the very next play, it's a touchdown. And all of a sudden, you went from, you know, if you're a Kansas City fan, like, hey, we're only down seven. We're in this too. Oh, we have the lead and we have it right now. And it happened in the span of less than three game minutes. Right. It's incredible. It almost, I mean, it feels like he's inevitable. You know, um, and then same friend, like they get it going, they drive back down the field, they score the touchdown, block kick. <laughs> How do you let that kick get blocked? Moody, like, I get it. The field goal is moved back. It isn't like college anymore where you just got to get it up in the air and you're basically using your 56 degree. You're trying to lob something onto the green, mm -hmm. but you can't, you can't put that ball in a position where it can get blocked. Line drive. No, you can't. You, yeah. It's it's the three zero count grooving one right down the middle with a fastball. You can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. Um, obviously, game goes into OT. When it went into OT, did you know about the rule change? I didn't until I didn't either. Well, I actually had gotten home and my wife told me about the new mm -hmm. rule change. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Wait, what?" For, See, for I I didn't year, know it either, and it hadn't been used until this game, right? It didn't happen earlier in the playoffs, or did it? No, no, there wasn't a, an OT in the playoffs, to my knowledge, right? Like it got to that point where uh, this year there obviously hadn't been, but I think this rule change was made after the Buffalo, the 13 seconds. Kansas City goes down, they they're able to tie the game, they get the game to start the overtime, they go and score. And so the change is, is if you kick a field goal in the regular season, right, that doesn't end it in overtime. But in the postseason, I just assumed, like I think most people did, that it followed the same rules as right. you know, the regular season. And if it didn't follow those rules, 
I would have thought that the time mattered. But I found out after doing more research last night, because I was sitting there like, why is Andy Reid running out the clock? What is he doing? What is his game plan? It's basically college football playoffs now, like the Kansas City tiebreak rule. So in college football, if it goes into overtime, each team gets an opportunity with the ball at the 25, right? Well, basically the NFL playoffs have now turned into that, except it's a full field. They want you to go to full field, but then they have the time on the clock. But if they would have ran out, it's my understanding they would have just flipped fields and Kansas City would have kept going because Kansas City never lost possession of the ball. That is so what's the point of the time? Yeah, that's that's just that doesn't sound like football. I don't know. Well, well it doesn't make sense. And like I'm okay with the NFL being like, hey, we want to change it to the Kansas City tiebreak rule, but then that should be how you handle it in the regular season. And in the regular season, if that's how you're gonna handle it, you just make it, hey, it's one time. You you have your 10 minutes or whatever it is. And if it's still tied, it's still tied. And I get that. They don't want to have these marathon games. But if you're going to do it that way, then there's no point in running the time other than the play clock. That's the only reason to do it. Cause I'm sitting there like, what is Andy doing? Like you have to get in the end zone. You have like, if you don't call this time out here, you have to kick the field goal and just accept the tie anyways. And then you're, you're going to be the one who has the ball to start the next one. So I, I understand a little bit how some people like you and I can be confused, but the most damaging thing is that Sam Fran says they didn't know. You listen to Kyle Juszczyk and Armstead after the game, they said, well, we thought it was like normal. Like we just have to go down and score a touchdown. That is 100% on Kyle Shanahan. You have to know that the, the chiefs, they weren't rushing, right? We were talking, and we've got a couple uh, Texans, right? And they're saying six seconds left, first and goal. Kansas City knew that they that time didn't really matter, that the clock was fake. It wasn't real. It didn't matter. It's it's nothing important. So they weren't rushing. They weren't. They were taking their time. They were making sure they got the right calls in. They made sure they got in corn dogs so they can win the game. Nicole Hardman. But I don't think the can I don't think the San Francisco players knew that. Because I don't think Kyle Shanahan truly knew the rule, and he didn't truly go through it with them. Because at the end of the game, you have two of your captains, two long-term NFL veterans, Kyle Juszczyk and Eric Armstead, two guys who are known for their NFL acumen, their football IQ, their smarts, who said, I learned about the rules at the same time as ice-freaking-spice on the jumbo <laughs> truck. That yes. cannot happen. And that's why these things keep happening to Kyle Shanahan. That is why he fails when the moment is biggest because he does leave some stones unturned. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of interesting that they did, that they made that change. What are your thoughts? Do you prefer one way or the other? You know, first touchdown scores wins versus both teams getting a try. Do you have an opinion on that? I think you just go, I think everything should be Kansas city uh, style. Um, so the college football way, uh, okay. the, the, the change that I would make is cause it's NFL kickers start at start at your 25, start at like a touchback. Right. And have to make your way down the field. That makes sense. Um, because is it really fair if let's say San Francisco scores uh, a touchdown, Kansas city gets the ball, they drive down, they score a touchdown. Well, San Fran gets the ball back. They just have to drive down, kick a field goal. If they do that, I feel like once they've both scored the touchdown, you've reset. 
I don't necessarily think it's fair that now San Fran, because they asked for the ball first or whatever, decided. So now the Chiefs should get a, a try also. That's what I think. And that's how the Kansas City rule works. That's how the college football playoff or the college football in general, that's how their OT rules work, which I prefer. I think it, it's more exciting. It's more fun. Um, and, and if you want to do overtime like a normal game, then you should treat it like it is the last quarter in a half, right? So if it's if there's six seconds left and Kansas City is first and goal, they have to kick that field goal or else it's not, hey, we're flipping sides, now you get another shot over here. If you want to do it that way, treat it like a quarter, but then treat it like a true quarter. So if San Fran goes down, kicks a field goal, Kansas City, they have fourth down on their own 34, they might decide, hey, we're going to punt it back to you right? So that way, if the 49ers don't score, they could get the ball back and still score again. So to me, it's like either treat it like it's its own fifth quarter or just go Kansas City style. Yeah, That way it's still like kind of football in some way. Um, and and I, I glossed over this one, but I wanted to make, I want to make sure that we go back to that third and four on um, the overtime drive for San Francisco. Spagnola, the defensive coordinator for Kansas City, called a perfect game. And what I mean by that is there were bad calls that he left guys open. I mean, they got burned on the double pass where Juwan Jennings gets the throw to CMC. CMC was able to run, for the most part, at will through this Kansas City team, which you know we were talking about earlier on, right, where, hey, uh, in the preview to this on In the Trenches, it was they are going to run the ball with CMC. If they win this game, it's going to be because San Fran ran the ball. The Kansas City defense is 18th in the league. But when it mattered most, Spags dialed up just an impeccable, impeccable array of blitzes. And they worked every time. And that third and fourth one is the one that sticks out to me because he ran a fire zone and he ran it in a way that as an offensive lineman, it's FUBAR, which means effed up beyond recognition, right? <laughs> so what an offensive lineman in that situation is looking for is are they covered by a down defensive lineman? And in that case, both the guard and the tackle, they are covered, but the center is free. So the center is going to try and work to who he thinks the most dangerous man is unless he's on a slide, right? So if he's already supposed to slide left, he's going to slide left. If he's supposed to slide right, he's going to slide right. In this case, he was going to try and work to the most dangerous man because they were not in a slide. And so he's listening to his right tackle and his left tackle on who they think is going to come free. And on the right side, they thought that they had their two guys down, ready to go. Then he walks up his middle linebacker. So his linebacker is right at the heel line of his defensive lineman. And you can't decide Hey, is he going to go right? Is he going to go left? He can blitz. He can drop back into coverage. What are you supposed to do here? Meanwhile, he's got his nickel defensive back just kind of floating, acting like he's not doing anything. Hey, that has to be a cover guy, has to be a cover guy. And as soon as the ball is snapped, he blitzes, and he blitzes hard. So that way, your running back has gone to the other side. The center has gone to the other side. You have your guard and your tackle. They're picking up the two defensive lineman and here free comes the nickel and he's right in Brock Purdy's face and everyone's going to say well if you look at the all 22 Brandon Ayuk is wide open 
Purdy isn't looking there because that's not where his read is. And Purdy did the right thing. Hey, there's a blitzer where my read is. I need to throw the ball at the blitzer because that's where there's going to be one-on-one coverage or there's more likely for one of my guys to be open. But he doesn't have time. And the corners between Sneed and McDuffie were all over the San Francisco wide receivers all game long. And that was it was the perfect encapsulation of every key defensive moment for Kansas city in that game, because they were all over and wrapped up on that wide receiver that he's trying to get the ball out to Purdy can't make the throw. He's getting hit and you force the field goal. And that puts the ball in the best player in the world's hands with a chance to go win the super bowl. And they do. It was, it was one of the more impressive game plans from a defensive coordinator that I've seen when you have you have a true weak point. You finished 18th in rush defense this year in the entire NFL. And you're going up against the best running back with the best left tackle, with the smartest offensive mind. And you were able to limit their rushing attack just enough to put them into third and longs where they had to throw. And then you dialed up the perfect blitz. And it seemed like he did it every freaking time. What were your thoughts on the Kansas City defensive game plan? Yeah, I mean, clearly they they did really well in the secondary. I was looking at the like overall grades for each category, and you know Nick Bosa took the defensive ends. Um, but then aside from that, I, I believe it was the Chiefs, and you know dominated the secondary. And you know, I thought uh, San Francisco did a great job at containing Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know he really didn't get anything until that fourth down in the fourth quarter, I believe. Mm-hmm. where he, he was able to to get that conversion. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the Chiefs did their job with uh, the secondary and Nick Bolton, 13 total tackles, five solo. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were able to obviously limit Brock Purdy. McCaffrey did well when he had his opportunities, but, you know, the Chiefs obviously. Right. Did well, the most. McCaffrey's yards as, as good as they are, they, they almost feel hollow to a degree because it it's 22 carries to eight to get to 80 yards. Right. Well, he has a lot of yards, but he had to do it on more carries than he normally does. I mean, he had 30 total touches, right? Also eight receptions for 80 yards. Right. And that's where most of his damage came from. Aside from CMC, they've pretty much limited everybody else. I mean, Debo, right. Yeah, I know. He had 11 targets. He had three catches. CMC had all the catches because everything was out of the backfield, right? And and you can only limit him so much. But it, it's almost like uh, guarding LeBron James, right? At the end of the day, CMC had 30 touches for 160 yards and a touchdown. And I say that's a victory of a game plan. <laughs> like, make that dude beat you. And he wasn't able to do it, you know? And, and again... A lot of people are going to come out and we're going to have to hear it all the way until next, probably until Brock Purdy ever wins the Super Bowl. But, well, he's a game manager. He's not a true winner. He's not a true, you know, difference maker. He's not a game changer was the fun one that ESPN was using this year. Hmm. He had 255 yards and a touchdown. He threw, he went 23 of 38. I felt like he had a pretty good game. And also we're talking about the Chiefs defense. He didn't have a pick. Right. Mahomes had the pick. And yeah. a bad pick at that. He threw it right to the defender. You know, and and I kind of lambasted the 49ers defensive line because you talk about all these names between Hargrave, Bosa, Young, 
Armstead, and they'd kind of underperformed. I felt like they played extremely well. Like this was the San Francisco defense minus uh, Tufanga. Everybody else was healthy and ready to go until Drake Greenlaw got hurt, which running out the sideline. Incredible unlucky play, right? Yeah. And then that seemed to be a difference maker in the game for Travis Kelsey. Because as soon as Greenlaw gets hurt, now you've got the backup in, and now Kelsey starts going off. I mean, he started the game first quarter or first half. It was like one catch for one yard, finishes with nine for 93. Right. So that seems like to be at the end of the game. Right. And in in the key drives, uh, end of the fourth quarter and the game winning drive, it was whenever they needed it most, aside from the fourth and one, they found Kelsey. And he made a big play, and he looked like Travis Kelsey of old. But that Dre Greenlaw injury, and I didn't mean to skip over it, and I, I keep just coming back and coming back and coming back, kind of uh, that, that shows you a little bit of uh, all the head hits that I've taken in my <laughs> football years. But the Dre Greenlaw injury and the defensive game plan from Spagnola, I, I feel like had probably one, two on your, on your key bigs. Uh, for Kansas City for them to come out on top in this game. I, I really think that. Um, as you went through, was there a certain player or a play? Um, obviously, Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, right? Those guys are the stars. Did anyone stand out to you where you went, oh, holy F, that guy had a coming out party? A coming out party. I mean, well, I it's just a huge game. I mean, to be honest, I thought it was like, I thought it was a solid defensive game. Like there wasn't one guy that just, you know, mm -hmm. blew the socks off of everybody. Everyone was pretty even keeled. And, you know, like aside from McCaffrey, you know, on the, on the 49er side, not really anyone stood out aside from McCaffrey. Of course, on the Kansas city side, you got Travis Kelsey that went off, um, you know, in the second half, as you mentioned, when it, when it mattered. But aside from that, it, the stat line looks pretty even. Um, I mean, me, Michael Hard, Hardman averaged, you know, 19 yards per catch. Justin Watson averaged 18 yards per catch. Mm -hmm. So aside from those big plays, it's it was pretty evenly spread out across the board. Right. For me, and this is unfair because I, I brought this up just so I could I could brag on this guy. <laughs> but Trent McDuffie, that dude. He, he's a rookie. He's a young kid. Just got out of uh, UW, right? That dude is unbelievable. Excuse me. This is his second season. He's not a rookie. Un-freaking-believable. When they needed him to be in coverage, he shut people down. When they needed him to add into the blitz game, the big key uh, third down stop that I'm thinking of, I believe it was the one uh, that forced San Fran to kick because if he, McDuffie doesn't come on this blitz and San Fran gets this first down, they basically run out the clock much like Kansas city did uh, to Philly the other last year, right? Where Kansas city, they get the holding call on Bradbury. They can run the clock down, just kick the field goal. That's what San Fran was trying to do. McDuffie, the last guy you would think to blitz. And most guys in the NFL, especially at that DB spot, when you get a corner, he's out there to cover. He's not out there to add into the boxing. He certainly isn't in, out there to blitz. That dude blitzed 
free, didn't care. He hit the hole perfect. He knew where his D end and his D tackle, where they were going to go so that the hole would open up. He disguised it perfect. The running back's not able to come over. He comes free. He gets in Brock Purdy's face, and he's able to disrupt the throw and force them on fourth down to kick the field goal, to go up by three, and that gave Patrick Mahomes plenty of time to get down the field and score the game-time field goal to send it into OT. Trent McDuffie, and I know he's a local guy, and I know you, you're not going to love him because you're a WSU guy through and through. I've got a shout-out, Jalen Watson. He went to Washington State. He's hey, there you second, go. Second there you go. Yep. <laughs> right? But Trent McDuffie is going to be a star, and he's not going to get the same love that some of the other corners are going to get. I mean, shoot, Sneed, as good as McDuffie has been, Sneed has been equal, if not a little bit better. Uh, but McDuffie is young. And what he's able to do, and the way he does it, it's quiet. It's not like most corners. It's not the Richard Sherman type, who I love. It's not the Sauce Gardner type, right? It's it's not vocal. It's not loud. It's quiet, like Darrell Revis. But man, does he get the job done. And he does a lot of stuff that they ask of him. And he just popped off the page to me. I know, when you look at it, you're going to say, Will, are you nuts? Three tackles. Two of them solo, one assist. I'm telling you, you watch that game, that dude can freaking play football. Three pass deflections, the uh, you know, second to him, people only had one. So and then yeah. two two QB hits on top of that. Yep. Cause when they need to add into the blitz, they like to add McDuffie. That's why they went out and got him. He has been absolutely fantastic. We also have a, a great text. They're able to see the chat, right? Or is this just me? No, unless we put it on the screen. Actually, okay. yeah, they can't see it. They can't see it. Okay, good. Because I was like, I want to show this one. Yeah, there you go. I have to shout out uh, this fan because they went right to where my heart is, and they talked about Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey at center <laughs> is awesome. It's a it's a shame that they didn't have Joe Tooney in this game uh, because the backup that they had, journeyman guy, he played a good game. He's not Joe Tooney. When they had Joe Tooney, they had Creed Humphrey, and they had uh, Trey Smith all healthy, ready to go, I think Pacheco would have ran for 120 in this game. If they would have had all three of those guys good, ready to go, they have rebuilt this offensive line. Because remember, when they lost to Tampa Bay, what was the issue? He was running for his life all game long against Tampa Bay because that their offensive line was weak. They had all these great wide receivers for Kansas City, but – the defense, they got to him. So they rebuilt. They went out and drafted Creed Humphrey and Smith, and they went out and signed Tooney. And I know their tackles still have some issues that they need to fix, but that interior three for Kansas City, I'd put it up there with any interior three. They're that freaking good. And uh, to hit on the Creed McDuffie draft, just absolutely bonkers. It's why they're at where they're at. Final thoughts. Do you have any closing uh, statements, any, any diatribes to go into this uh, Super Bowl? Um, if you want to attack. Uh, Taylor Swift or anybody else like that. Now's the time. Well, so I did see an image of uh, the colors for next year's Super Bowl, and now it's predicted that it's like the Dolphins versus someone else. If you, yeah. look, at the, if you look at the colors for this year, um, you know both teams were technically red, but mm -hmm. Taylor Swift's album that she released was purple. Oh, so it so lives on. NFL was playing some five D chess there, so yeah. they. The colors were, were still right, technically. Well, and, you, and you know what? Uh, you know what the Gatorade was? Was it purple? It was purple, of course. 
It was purple. Right. Yeah. Hey, look, man, it's the NFL. They always <laughs> find a way to get it done. Also, shouts out to Blake Lively. Uh, ever since I've watched The Town, I, I'm in love with Blake Lively. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit jealous of Ryan Reynolds for many reasons, but uh, his marriage, you know? Right. And like, he's cool. <laughs> and he's like most superstars that are like that, they, they're kind of douchey and he's just not like he's a good Seems dude. like a cool guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? I, Oh well, but and also I just have to say, I mean, well, I'll I'll ask you a question: Is this a dynasty? Yes, yes, hundred percent. I think uh, for me, I think it's a. Most people said it at three to three and five is a dynasty. I think three and six or three and seven uh, titles to years, how long it takes. I think that's a dynasty because, like, when you look at the NBA, you would say that during the Popovich years, the Spurs probably had excuse me, they had two dynasties, right? They had the early 2000s dynasty, and then they had the little bit later one where they also had uh, Kawhi Leonard with them, right? Because they won a couple titles in there. Um, For me, this Kansas City team was a dynasty, but I would have said that they were a dynasty last year. Because, you know, you look at it last year, they'd been to five straight AFC title games. They'd won two titles. Uh, Now you're at, sorry, they'd been to four and won two titles. Now you're at three and five. To me, that's a dynasty. Like you can't talk about the last five years of the NFL without talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's not because of extracurriculars off the field. It's not just because Travis uh, Kelsey was possibly going to propose to Taylor Swift. It's none of that stuff. It was because they won and they won when it mattered most. Now, a lot of people are already going, they're doing the comparison Mahomes to Brady. If you look by the timetable, I think he's technically a year behind Brady because Brady had his third by the time he was 27 and he's obviously 28 Mahomes. But then you get into this range of, well, then Brady went 10 years without winning one. So could Mahomes do it in that time? I think he's a long way off from that conversation. But to say that this isn't the first dynasty of, of the 2020s, or, you know, this is going to be the main dynasty of the 2020s. I think I think you're fooling yourself. You look at this point, you're getting to a stage where they're going to have to revamp this team, right? A lot of the guys, aside from Patrick Mahomes, they're getting old. Well, they've already started doing it. They went out and got Creed and Smith and McDuffie. Now Rasheed Rice, Pacheco. You start going down the list, they're already starting to phase in that younger group, that younger group, that younger group. The same things that we said Mahomes was going to have to do that Brady did in New England. Remember when Patrick Mahomes signed his contract, everyone went, half a billion dollars? That's insane. He's so overpaid. Look at him compared to everybody else. He's underpaid again. He's already underpaid. And he seems to not care because he lives in Kansas City and he bought his house for 400 k Now he makes that every time he throws a pass or something stupid, I'm sure Darren Ravel will come out with, right? Yeah. So the more and more you look at this team, it seems like they have the makings for it because they have the people in the front office who are able to go through and find that hidden player in the rough, to go find Pacheco, the seventh rounder, to go out and find Creed Humphreys in the second or third round, a day two guy, to go out and make the move for McDuffie. Yeah, Tony didn't work out. Sky Moore, he wasn't as good this year as he had been the year before. Obviously, he gets hurt. But Rasheed Rice did. 
And shoot, every single year it seems like they find a new wide receiver that just blows up and pops. So why can't they just keep building and building and building? They got a long way to go. But, I mean, shoot, I remember after the first Super Bowl where it was, man, this defense is weak. This is the weakness of Kansas City. If you can outscore Mahomes or you can stop Mahomes once or twice, you can beat this team. Well, they just won that Super Bowl because of that defense and Mahomes, right? If they can spot the talent and do that and continue and continue and continue to do that, I you know, the sky's the limit. It's a lot. The sky's very high for them to reach. But on the same note, what do you think about the 40, 49ers? Where are they at comparatively as far as their roster turnover heading into next year? Maybe we'll see them competing well, again next year. Well, the beauty of San Fran is they're never going to be out because you have the smartest offensive mind. I think, well, he might be number two. Kyle Shanahan might be number two behind Sean McVay and Sean McVay alone, right? Um, Andy Reid's a little more whimsical, uh, you know, calling corn dog with a little mustard on it or whatever he said. Uh, the fact that he uses janitor plays is hilarious. Uh, janitors will come in and drop plays for him. It's it's awesome. Seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. He, they, they they use multiple plays from a, from different janitors or like players will come up with ideas and he'll use them. That guy's getting a ring. Right, right. A big one. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, when you look at Shanahan, the dude is smart and he understands football and he understands offensive play. He just, it seems like in big moments, they just get too big for him. He decides, well, I'm just going to run the football here. I, you know, I've got CMC here, but it's time for him to come out. It's time for Elijah Mitchell to be in. So Elijah Mitchell should be in, in this play. And it's easy to nitpick these things because he lost, right? If he wins, no one cares. If Brock Purdy was able to somehow fit a ball into a tight window and Debo Samuel came up with a catch, then nobody cares. If Debo Samuel doesn't, if Debo Samuel and Brock Purdy connect on two extra targets, what could the difference be in that game? If your kicker kicks the ball a little bit higher on an extra point or your left side of your field goal unit blocks a little bit harder, what could the difference have been? You know, you don't talk about him in that way, but this is the hand that he's been dealt and this is what he has to deal with. So I'm not going to root out San Francisco. I think their GM, John Lynch, is very smart. I think Shanahan is brilliant. I think Brock Purdy is a lot better than most people give him credit for. Is he a top five quarterback in the league? Hell no. Is he a top 10 guy? Yeah, I think he's in the conversation. If you told me he was 11 or 12, I'm not going to disagree. If you told me that he's 10, 9, 8, I'm probably going to listen to that, right? Those are conversations I'm willing, willing to hear. And you got CMC and you got Debo and you have this defense. If you can stay healthy, of course they're in the conversation. They just need some stuff to go their way. But it, it does feel like the Walmart version of Buffalo in the 90s. Buffalo went to four straight and you weren't able to win any of them in the Super Bowl. Now, to be wow. fair, San Fran, you've been to two in the Shanahan era and then you've been to a bunch of NFC title games. But it feels like a lesser version of that. I mean, shoot, you can even go all the way back to Jim Harbaugh and his run where with Kaepernick, you got to a Super Bowl and an NFC title game. Yeah, an NFC title game that you lost to Seattle in. So San Fran's, uh, they're starting to get a little bit of the junior bills. They're not the bills, and I'm not going to try and take that away from Buffalo. But 
They're getting into that lovable loser category. It's rough for them. I, I feel bad for them. I was getting ready to bust out a player profile about Mr. Relevant. <laughs> but uh it might still it might that. still come, but it won't have quite the fire. I was gonna say I I think it needs to come for the people. The people yeah. want it. He's Speaking of things that people want, yep. they uh it's time to look at the draft because that's only two months away. Uh Combine, I think, is a month away, maybe even a little bit less. That'll be fun to watch. Right. So everyone's already jumping in to uh the draft talk so i figured we just look at the top 10 maybe even we'll go to 10 and then we'll also look at 16 for seattle seattle fans who could you possibly get right um so i've got draft networks up uh i think you have mel kuypers uh, yeah i've got mel kuyper um so one chicago they've got caleb williams i don't know how chicago doesn't go with caleb williams now i know the merrill hodge twitter video has been going around where he starts ripping on caleb williams um, because he's not as traditional and everyone because Merrill Hodge spotted a few quarterbacks who ended up being big time. I think he was one of the first Mahomes believers. Um, and he was also a big hater on a lot of guys who came into the NFL and didn't end up being big time quarterbacks. Now everyone's all out on Caleb Williams. For me, I, I don't know how you'd go with anyone else. He is the the closest Mahomes prototype that there is out there. And you're in Chicago. It resets. You're back on a rookie deal with the quarterback. You can trade Justin Fields. You're not going to get a first, but you probably get a second. Maybe you get a third out of it. I would go with Caleb Williams there. Drake May, Jane Daniels, Michael Penix, they're all good quarterbacks, right? But I think you have to take the guy who has the highest potential. Go with the potential there. Go with the number one pick and go get Caleb Williams. That would be the guy that I'd go with. Was he – was he straight up saying that they shouldn't draft him? Yeah, I think he was leaning more towards May. Um, he didn't like – Williams has an issue of being a backyard football player where, <laughs> hey, my read is gone. I am so much more athletic than everybody else, and I have the arm strength and accuracy to make every throw, throws that no one should make, but I can make it, that we've seen Mahomes make, Right. Uh, the Kelsey throw sticks out to my mind. He's jumping in the air, jump shot, 10 yards down the field, floater for Travis Kelsey on, you know, the saying is uh, you never throw high down the middle. You never throw late down the middle because those get intercepted. He did all those things on that throw. He didn't have a solid base, yet he still completed the pass. Caleb Williams can do a lot of those things too. And just like Patrick Mahomes, If you draft Caleb Williams, you have to understand that there's going to be a lot of great things that he does, but there's going to be a lot of bad things that he does too. The problem is is there's going to be a lot of times where the bad things that he does turns into great things because he's not supposed to do it, and so teams aren't expecting it. So you kind of have to take the good with the bad. To me, the the potential. If you go and you take May or Daniels or you trade back and Caleb Williams hits – how do you live your, with yourself like that? It's kind of the same thing as the Andrew Luck year or the Trevor Lawrence year where don't outthink the room, take the guy. If he fails, everyone but Merrill Hodge was wrong. You know, that's kind of my thought process, but it does sound like Williams doesn't want to go there. Yeah, and, and that kind of a follow-up question to that. Um, didn't Eli Manning and John Elway kind of have, you know, the same type of thing to where they didn't want to go somewhere. So they had like, okay, they, they draft Caleb Williams. What if he really doesn't want to go there? 
you know, so to the average fan, do they, does he have the ability to wait out? I mean, he's not going to wait out a year, but it's like, how bad can they make it or can he make it? So I, I don't know. You know, I think he calls bluff. Um, okay. Cause at this point, to my understanding, I don't believe he can go back to college football. I think you draft him and you say, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Like, you're going to sign this contract. You're going to buy like, a nice yeah. car, live in a nice spot. You're, you're going to sign this contract. We're going to take care of you. And then it's up to Chicago for the next five years to build a team around him that he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to go there. And he's trying to flex his muscles. And he's trying to do the Kyler Murray where he uses his dad. <laughs> um, and they make a stink about going to Chicago because Chicago, they've never had a good quarterback. They've never had good wide receivers. You finally have a decent one uh, right now in Moore, right? Moore is becoming a legit number one uh, wide receiver. But Justin Jefferson, if he went to the Chicago Bears today, would be number one all-time career receiving. Justin Jefferson. He's been in the league like four years. He won a Super Bowl – or sorry, he won a college football title with Joe Burrow in 2020. Yeah, 2020, 2019 season, 2020, after the fact. I believe that's right. <laughs> it's either 2020 or 2021. But uh, the point still stands. He's been in the league for four years, right? So to me, um, I get what the Williams are doing. They're trying to make a big stink. They'd like to go somewhere else. But where are you going to go? You can go Washington? Like, Washington yeah, is that really is better. that really better? Right. I I think there's it's closer to home for him. I could be wrong on that. Um I believe he's he might be from that area so that could be uh, a reason for it as well. But Also not to get ahead of it, but looking at 1 and 9 on this draft board, that would be quite the combination if the Bears were able to pull this off. But right. we'll get there. Right. Well, and he's so he's from DC. I just did a quick Google. I get it, kind of. I get it. Want to go for the hometown team. Yeah. Uh, speaking of them, obviously, they're number two. Going with Drake May uh, in this one, according to the draft network. I don't hate the pick. Drake May would be the number one in most drafts. He's big. He's tall. He's strong. He can make all the throws. He's accurate. He has his issues uh, with decisions. But guess what? Most college kids do. So his just happened to be on the football field. Most of ours happened to be. Uh, with how much we could have in beverages the night before. Right. Ky- um, Ky- Kuypers uh, has Jaden Daniels at two, and then Drake made three. Uh, does he have him to New England? Yeah, uh, Drake made to, to the Patriots. And I think that there's some talk about that too. And I wouldn't be shocked if Jaden Daniels started to go up more boards as we get more into the process, because he's more mobile. And he's got a little bit of Lamar in him, right? It's a similar build. It's a similar body type. Um, the thing that scares me about Jaden Daniels is when you look at his big stat games, who are they against? They are against inferior FCS or smaller FBS teams. Uh, I remember watching him at Arizona State. And again, he was younger. And uh, it's not the same, you know, him at 20 is not the same as him at 22, 23. I'm not in love with Jaden Daniels. I think that he feasted on inferior opponents with superior talent uh, around him. And it would not shock me if it got a little bit Zach Wilson. You know what I mean? Like 
Wilson, he has all these big games. You look at all these, wow, he's making this throw. He can do this throw. Well, yeah, he's doing all that against Coastal Carolina and, you know, SMU. And then you're watching him do a crazy throw where he's got shorts on and a T-shirt. That's where all the best, you know, everyone loves the pro day because it's at your own college. You're throwing to your own wide receivers. Your strength coach is running through all that stuff. I want to see you when bullets are actually flying. I want to see you when guys are trying to rip your head off. And to me, it felt like, yes, Jaden Daniels was a big key player. Obviously, he's the Heisman Trophy winner. But when they needed him most at LSU, he didn't seem to be able to get the job done. Don't get me wrong. That defense was atrocious, and that plays a role too. Uh, but I'm not as high on Jaden Daniels as I might be on Drake May. But to be honest, I'm not as high on, on either one of those as two other quarterbacks later. They just have major weak points as you look through it. Um, on this one, they've got Cardinals going Marvin Harrison Jr. at four. Doesn't shock me. Love, yep. love that pick. Um, he's a freak. It, every you know, 10, 15 years, a wide receiver comes around like this. I think the closest comparison or most recent comparison to him uh, would be like an A.J. Green or Julio Jones type of, hey – they're coming out. They have all the intangibles. They're fast, tall, similar thing uh, with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think most teams are going to jump at the opportunity to take him. On this one, in Minnesota, uh, oh, well, it should be the Chargers. They're doing some trades on here. But this one does have J.J. McCarthy coming up five. Not as high on J.J. Uh, as a lot of the draft people, which shocks me. I would have thought that Penix or Knicks would have been much higher. Maybe there's a little bit of bias there from watching them so much. But you want to talk about game managers. That's J.J. McCarthy. And that's not to knock on him. Like, he is a good college quarterback. And Michigan definitely put some handcuffs on him. But uh, when I look at it, that seems like a reach to go get McCarthy. What does what does Kuiper have at five? At five, he has Brock Bowers, tight end Georgia. Yeah, love that. Love that. It's weird that uh, you would think to see a tight end go that high. And when you look at that picture of him and Gronk, Bowers looks like he does your taxes. It's <laughs> brutal. That being said, uh, and Brock, I love Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is legit. Brock Bowers is the next great tight end. Um, that dude is fantastic. Uh, at six, you've got uh, Talise Hafanga, and I butchered it, but that's okay. The tackle out of Oregon State. That dude was awesome this year. Oregon State's offensive line. Uh, obviously, UW's group won the Joe Moore Award, and they should have. Um, and people are going to think of that Oregon State unit as, you know, kind of the third fiddle. UW's was great. Oregon's was great. Oregon State's offensive line was uneffing believable this last year. Um, so it doesn't shock me that he's going that high. That dude is legit Kuiper um, has him falling to 22 really yeah and he has malik neighbors wide receiver lsu going to, to new york yeah. yeah on this one they have neighbors going to nine to chicago okay uh also don't hate it like between neighbors and we'll talk about odunze here in a second and uh marvin harrison jr those three i feel like they're can't miss like they're that good they're and they all do slightly different things they're fantastic. I think that uh, Hufanga, he's a little bit, if I remember right, he's a little shorter. So that could be why Kuiper has him going back. Eh, 6'6", 300. 
six, 330. Oh, uh, yeah, he's a little short. He's a little small. Yeah, no, I was – for some reason, I thought he was 6'5". Um, the irony. Um, he has um, – so they're going to they're gonna downplay his technique is what they're going to go through there with him. Um, look, man, I watched him all year. That dude can road grade. And if I'm an offensive line coach, I want a road grader. That's what that <laughs> dude can do. And he can pass pro with the best of them. Uh, love it. They might even – kick him into guard depending on uh if tackle isn't working out super great for him at seven this one has joe alt to tennessee same yeah love that uh alt fantastic tennessee you need to build around levis you need someone uh at one of those tackle spots that can make him feel comfortable you just lost taylor lewan obviously he's old also some acl injuries um love that there oh, speaks, they, really quick speaking of small six eight three fifteen yeah, little guy. Jeez. They call him Little Joe. <laughs> um, Odunze at eight to the Patriots. Again, love it. Patriots. Uh, so this, if there's no trades, it would be Atlanta's pick. Um, but Odunze, that's a good spot for uh, him, getting him into New England or really Atlanta too. Um, I don't see – I think this is a year where you could have three wide receivers get taken in the top ten, and I have a hard time seeing Odunze get out of it. Yeah. Uh, on this one, the last one is J.C. Latham, uh, offensive tackle for Alabama. That would be to the Jets. That's obviously not a trade away. Uh, you got to figure out that offensive line. That offensive line has been atrocious. Uh, Beckton, uh, Mackay, he did not turn into anything that he was supposed to be for New York. So I think that's a good move um, there. On this one, uh, it has Chicago at nine, taking mm -hmm. Roma Dunze. Yeah. So imagine Again. Caleb Williams and Romo Dunze in Chicago with right. DJ Moore there too. Right. I mean, that, that'd be sweet. Right. It, it completely revamps that team. That offensive line started to look better. And uh, Eberflus, or as I uh, have called him, Dweberflus, uh, he's getting that defense going. And so I don't want to buy into the hype because this is what Chicago did last year. But I have a little bit more faith in what they're building over there. If uh, you're looking at Kuypers, I believe he has Seattle at 16 taking JJ. Am I correct on that? That's correct, yep. On uh, the Draft Network, you've got Jared Verse, or Verse, I forget how they pronounce it, the edge out of Florida State. I would 1,000 times out of 1,000 rather have uh, Verse, Verse. I want, I want the Florida State edge rusher. That dude is legit, and he fits – uh, that ability to play inside and outside um, that so few guys can. He started off at a smaller school, got over to Florida State, and he was absolutely dominant over there. Plus now I think that's going to open up some more room uh, for Mafe and some of those other guys. Uh, you could have uh, JV, you can have him on the inside at that three tech and then have Mafe out at that five, and then you have all these stunts and these twists. Seattle was at their best when they had versatile edge rushers, i.e. Clemens, Averill and Bennett. When you had three dudes who could go inside, who could go outside, that just opened up everything for everyone else. And you were able to get after the quarterback in a multitude of ways. Obviously, I know it's different now that you have Mike McDonald running the show. Um, but what's he known for? He wants versatile players who can play a multitude of positions. I mean, there's times where you look at Kyle Hamilton and it's like, whoa, that he's at deep free safety. And then the next play, he's in the box and it looks like he's about to rush off the edge. So I love and would love for them to go out and get him. 
Any thoughts on that, Connor? Um, so, I mean, Mel Kuyper shows, you know, Bo Nix, um, uh, Michael Penix falling out of the first round. I mean, so you'd rather take a, the edge guy instead of like a Bo Nix at that spot? Because I think you can get them in the second round. Okay, okay. So right now, with what I what I'm gonna say, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, um, it seems like Knicks and Penix are gonna fall to round two, and if that's the case, then I'd rather have you wait. And this will get into you know the conversation of the the coordinators that are coming in. Obviously, Grub coming in uh, to be your OC out in uh, Seattle. Um, and so a lot of people are excited about Penix and getting Penix in that system. I am terrified with Penix of his injury history. Same. He has two shoulder surgeries. Um, he's got two major knee surgeries, and I felt like he got touched up in two games this year. I felt like the first Oregon game, they were able to get to him and hit him a couple times, and I felt like the national championship, Michigan was able to get to him. And both times after both of those games, he came out holding his ribs, holding his stomach. You're not going to get protected by the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. Do I think that Seattle has a good O-line and that they're building it and it's getting stronger and better every year? Yes, 100%. I totally do. But he's going to get hit. Can he make it through a whole year when he already has that injury history? That's where I'm fearful. That would scare me. And Bo... He didn't have a good senior bowl week. He came out and he looked so-so and he got better as, as the week went on. And that's kind of the story of Bo Nix. He comes out and everyone's all excited. He struggles a little bit. And then once he calms down and slows everything down, he turns into a better version of himself. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of JJ comparisons and it's very clear that NFL scouts prefer JJ. So if I'm Seattle, unless there becomes a huge run on quarterbacks right now, I would love the edge rusher in Jared Versay if he gets to you. That, that's a big ask, right? But I would love him, and then you can go in the second round and make your move. I still think you need to make your move. I don't think that Geno's the guy. And right now when I look in free agency, who's a quarterback that could be in free agency this year where you're like, oh, that's better than a stopgap? Because even, like, let's say Kirk Cousins does come out, right? Like, let's say he doesn't sign back in Minnesota. He's old. Like, he's the same draft class as Andrew Luck and RG3. So how long is he going to be there? Four or five years? Maybe? Yeah. Maybe? And I think highly of Kirk Cousins. I think hi more highly of him than most people give him credit for, right? But when if you were to go get him, that's a stopgap guy. If you stay with Gino, that's a stopgap guy. Drew Locke, I feel like Drew Locke's made some gains and some growth, but I still probably go with Gino over Drew. And so if I go with Gino over Drew, then Drew's not the guy. So I think you have to go and try and find him this year. And let's, you know, spade a spade. It's not like Russell Wilson's happen every year. It's hard to find that third round guy. It's hard to find the Dak Prescotts. It's hard to find, you know, no one finds Tom Brady, but it's hard to find that late round guy that performs. Hell, it's hard to find Jalen Hurts's, you know? Um, so are you a uh Justin Fields truther? I hate Fields. I don't <laughs> I'm I'm anti-Fields. I just always see the clips on Twitter of his reads and you know, 
not seeing the open guy right down the middle type thing. Yes. Um, he, he has issues with, if it's not his first read, he he's in a lot of trouble. Um, and so for me, I, I don't want fields. He's your one that you could go get where if you did believe in him and you thought you could turn him into something where it's like, oh, okay, like that's not a stopgap guy, but I don't believe in him. So I don't want him. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, the way it looks right now, go get the edge rusher if he's there. Um, or if you think that you can get a safety, cause I think you're going to move on from Jamal. If you think you can go find a safety, go do that. Um, otherwise, you know, let, let's build up the defense, uh, and you can get a, a Bo Nix. You can get a Michael Penix in the second or third round. I think that's a better spot for him. Last thing, as we kind of wrap it up, uh, Seattle, they've been going through grabbing a bunch of, uh, new coaches, what are your initial thoughts on uh, the guys McDonald has uh, went out and retired or sorry, hired. Um, so I haven't taken a look at all of them, but uh, I'm kind of curious on the whole tampering rules. If there are any, you know, as far as grub, you know, went to Alabama and right. the Seahawks get him back. It's like, so these contracts that they're signing really actually don't mean anything, you know, yeah, they've kind of never meant anything. I mean, <laughs> No, not to uh, rattle some Husky fans' cages here, but, you know, there were, like, when Chip Kelly left to go to UC or left UCLA to go to Ohio State, there was talk that Fish might have a conversation with UCLA about their head coaching job. And I'd make the argument that UW's way better than UCLA, but still the conversation uh, was talked about and possibly had, depending on who you listen to, right? So I guess the question from me to you, uh, you being the football guy, yeah. what, what, what can you expect? What can we expect to see next year with the new head coach? That is the defensive mind that has ran the Ravens uh, that mm -hmm. is successful with their defense. And then also with grub with the offensive coordinator, what are we right. seeing from a defensive and offensive perspective? Well, when you look at the defense, don't expect it to be an overnight change. Um, Pete tried to find a bunch of different variations to fix that defense and rush defense wise. They got worse and worse every year to the fact, to the point where you were, I think you were 31st this last year in rush defense. You were giving up like four Jeez. yards. Carry. It was absolutely ridiculous. It's going to take McDonald time, but what he wants to get back to is a defense in the modern day, in the new age. You know, you think about it, Legion of boom, that's 10 years ago that can play a variety of positions. When you look at that defense, you had a bunch of guys who could play a variety of positions and you had freaks. You had the best one, two safety safeties in the NFL at the time. There was no one in my mind. Cause at that point, Ed Reed was old. That was better than Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. And there were vastly different players. You had the number one corner in the game at that time, Richard Sherman. And it was different because Richard wasn't doing it where he's just shutting people down. He was going out there and he could shut a whole side of the field down, right? You had Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett who could rush off the edge and they could rush out of the three and they were unselfish. And you had the best linebacker in the game in Bobby Wagner. I think McDonald can go out and find a bunch of guys to play a variety of positions on that D line, especially 
just like Averill and Bennett and Clemens. And when you get guys who can do that, and you can have a speed package where you have a D end at a three tech, or you can have a big package where you can have a D tackle that's playing a five, that's a defensive end spot. That's huge, huge. And the differences that you can have made up there, but it's not going to happen overnight. So I think if you could go from bottom tier in rush defense, and middle tier and pass defense, and you can get into upper tier pass defense, middle tier rush defense. I think I'm happy with that. Um, I think defensively, you have to get younger. Uh, you know, like I love Bobby, and I think Bobby probably needs to stay for another year or so, but he might not fit in this in this scheme. It seems like Jamal's already out the door. But there's then like a conversation like, what do you do with Quandre Diggs? Not because Quandre Diggs has had a huge dip in in production, but he's getting old, right? So how do you fix that? How do you fix Tyreek Woolen? That dude should have been defensive rookie of the year last year. And this year you had to bench him a couple times. So how do you get that dude right? But then you look at a guy like Devin Witherspoon, that guy can play so many positions and he yeah. fits perfectly for this McDonald defense. And so McDonald seems to be a guy who caters it around his players. So don't be shocked too if this defense looks different at the start of the year to the end of the year you know um i'm very very excited to see what he does i mean shoot he's really the only person who really really shut down mahomes i mean after their first two drives he stopped mahomes mahomes and casey punted five times in the second half of that game it wasn't his defense that cost him that game offensively with grub i want to see the middle of the field get used for the first time in like forever. Pete Carroll never used the middle of the field. Uh, Waldron never used the middle of the field. I mean, shoot, you can see it with JSN on, uh, he did an interview in the Super Bowl and they asked about him. Like, how, what do you think about Waldron? And he's like, uh, <laughs> live? Is this live? And they're like, yeah, it, it's live. He's like, oh, uh, good. Like, dude sounded like me talking about an ex-girlfriend. You know, like, that was fine. Like, no, dude, you didn't think he was good. And that might just be JSN being young and dumb. It also might be that Shane Waldron didn't use his players to, you know, their key abilities. I think a wide receiver group with DK Metcalf, JSN, and Tyler Lockett in a grub offense, that's exciting to me because it's very similar to McMillan, Polk, and Odunze, right? You just got to get a quarterback that can get the ball to him. If he thinks it's Geno, great. Then let's keep going with Geno. I would prefer to see if you can find a younger guy, but the position that you're in in the draft, if you don't want to give up a lot of draft capital, which I don't think they should do, then you might not uh, get a guy in the first round. You might be able to wait until the second round to go get someone, uh, you know, and have him learn for a year or two under these guys. So I think offensively, you're going to see uh, much more passing. You're going to see much more of an attacking offense because that's what Grubb wants to do. Um, obviously, you're still going to run the football and you're going to have to find ways to get the ball to Charbonnet and, um, to K9, right? Yeah. You're going to have to get the ball to, to Walker. But I think you're going to see a high-powered offense, and you're going to see an offense that takes chances and a team that takes chances um, when you had Pete Carroll, who didn't take a lot of chances. He was much more of a let my defense do what they need to do, let my running game do what it needs to do, and it'll be a close game at the end, and I'll find a way to win 60, you know, some odd percent of them. And if I do that, I will eventually get a title, and he did. Yeah, I'm looking forward to – I mean, 
change is exciting if, if nothing else. Right. So I'm excited to see what happens next mm -hmm. year for the Hawks. Right. And you, you actually have a Harbaugh in Seattle. I would have never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> Although he's coaching special teams. So maybe not quite the same. Yeah. Reflect yeah. the sun. So 60%, not 54. Yeah. Even not quite. The difference between the Hawks and the Mariners. Yeah. Well, hey, if you win 60%, eventually you'll get to a title. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what Billy Bean taught me. But yeah. Anyways. All right. Any any final questions or anything like that? You can put them uh, into the chat right now. Connor, if you had any uh, anything to wrap up, any questions you want answered or any comments that you had from anything going on. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it was a good game yesterday. It wasn't, you know, lopsided, which was good. Um, We're in a good age of Super Bowls. Um, there's very few blowouts. I guess one question, uh, the, the draft coming up, you yeah. know, with all the quarterbacks being taken, um, when was the last comparable draft as far as quarterbacks concerned with the amount of talent that is in this draft? It feels similar to uh, the Trevor Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, uh, Mac Jones, Fields year, right? Like that's kind of what it feels like to me. Uh, it was only a few years ago, yeah. Right, but you look at it and it's like there's conversations of four quarterbacks going in the first round in both of our mock drafts, and then there's still two other guys where you're like, well, hey, wait a minute, they're pretty good too that could get taken in the second round. Um, my issue with that and my my pump the brakes is always going to be look at that Trevor Lawrence draft. You look at it, uh, Trey Lance has been nothing. Zach Wilson has been nothing. Mac Jones had a Pro Bowl year, and now he has been nothing. Uh, Justin Fields has been marginal at best, and Trevor Lawrence is pretty good. You know, so just because there's a lot of quarterbacks doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're hoping one hits. Right, right, and that's normal. That's normal when you go and you look at the numbers. Shoot, even quarterbacks drafted in the top 10, I think, are like 50% on do they turn into a like real QB or do they not? And it only gets worse and worse as you go further and further back. Um, the key there is that you have to get a quarterback that fits that system. So a lot of people are going to want the storybook and they're going to want Penix, right? Um, pump your brakes and be very, very careful about it because there's a very big difference between Michael Penix in college and what he could be in the NFL. I'm not saying that he's not worth a draft pick. I'm not saying that the Seahawks should stay far, far away from him. Shoot, if anyone knows what Penix can truly do, it is grub, right? It's grub. He coached him in college and almost made him into a Heisman. Just be careful if he is the guy because I do uh, worry about uh, injuries and stuff like that. Um, reflect the sun. You've got... Uh, your JC Latham here, the right tackle. I I really like him. He's coming out of Alabama. Um, unless your name is Evan Neal, most tackles out of Alabama succeed. They're big, they're road graders, they're physical, and they're mean. Um, you can match him up. Uh, I believe his name is Scott Huff, but basically Grubb took with him the offensive line coach from UW. Uh, he took him to Alabama. He has now taken him with him to Seattle. They've just gone back and forth. Yeah, Hopefully right. they didn't uh, 
close their housing or anything like that. Hopefully they didn't, they didn't sell they didn't they didn't have a, the one press conference and then back on the plane. Right. They didn't have as good of a, a lender as you, Connor. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what we're hoping for. Um, <laughs> I would love to see what he could do with this offensive line. I still really like cross and I still really like Lucas. Um, so if you can find a way to move him into uh, a guard spot, I don't hate that. He's a road grader. It, it, it works. And it's a spot that you can, you can toss him in there as well. Um, he'd have to fall to you. A lot of drafts have him in that 10 to 13 range. Uh, but it's pretty hard to go wrong when you take an Alabama offensive lineman. You know what I mean? It's really hard uh, to go wrong there. Uh, last thing, I saw this. Thank you again, Reflect the Sun. Julio's comment on X wants to uh, win a World Series. It's time. You know, um, I, the Seahawks obviously did it 10 years ago. It's been 10 years since you've had one. Really, uh, it's been nine years since you've had a real chance at it. Even those Seahawks teams – uh, that had some runs the best you did was get to the divisional round and when you go back and you look at those teams it makes sense they were a divisional round team they weren't an nfc championship team frankly they weren't a super bowl team so it seems like now's the time and if you're a mariners fan look 54 sucks i hate that he phrased it that way but how many what was the percentage this year for the diamondbacks they got 53 percent wins was that right what it was? Yeah, like 53 or something like that. I they, don't know. And they got they got as close as uh, anyone else to winning a World Series without winning one. So, but Jerry Cook, Jerry Cook this offseason. and uh, I think I think we'll, I think I'm going to do a, a live stream Wednesday evening, kind of previewing or, or recapping the offseason and previewing the Mariner season. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, yeah. He ended up going out there and uh, trying to. He's trying to find the diamond in the rough. And you know what? He's done it enough times that I trust him. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, uh, specifically Reflect the Sun, man. Thank you so much uh, for chatting along with us. Connor, thank you so much, so much for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thank you Anytime. for uh, letting In the Trenches come on your uh, YouTube channel. Really appreciate it. Make sure that you're checking us out. We're going to have videos all the time and the Soccer Moms they're doing fantastic work as well. So if you're in uh, to the beautiful game, you're into football, the other football, you're into soccer, go and uh, check out their videos. Uh, Kat and Laura do a fantastic job over there. Anyways, thank you all so much for tuning in and uh, enjoy your evening.